with who I want to fucking mind. This, is, this has gone very badly. You've been, you've been doing it all wrong. I know. What have I been playing at? Grinder in the Olympic Village. A Daily Beast reporter went to do a story in the Olympic Village to see how many horny athletes were using hookup apps to try and get laid. Grinder specifically, right? Well, this is it. The premise was, can a mere mortal hook up with an Olympian athlete? We all know the Olympic Village is a big old orgy. Once everybody's done with their events, all the they want to do... athletics. All sex, they want to do is fuck. And let's be honest, I have a feeling that quite a lot of the general public are quite interested in athlete sex. Yeah, hot people having sex. People are interested in that, Hashtag aren't they? Hashtag fit people fucking. The idea was to go to the Olympic Village, get on all the dating apps and hookup apps and see if he could score any dates. Of course, the problem was he was one single straight male. So it was never going to be a very balanced piece anyway. The original piece that he published did end up focusing quite a lot on Grinder, and he also talked in some detail about the people who had suggested meeting him. He included where they came from and often what their results had been in their events and things like that. By the time I got to the article all of that had been taken out because as was rightly pointed out, those were quite identifying details and he was effectively outing athletes who weren't actually out as gay. Yeah, right. Many of whom came from countries where being gay was illegal. Yeah, the Saudi weightlifter from Riyadh. Is, oh, I haven't said his surname. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I didn't see those details but according to lots of other people, it literally took about five minutes to Google athlete from such and such who came 10th in such and such and find out who that was which if the um you know the press and communications or you know secret service of any of those countries um were interested in that kind of thing which they probably are they'll almost certainly be doing those rudimentary Mm. googles they took those details down which was a good thing but it was sort of too late it already prompted a lot of upset Because obviously this was the other problem. He was a straight guy. And although he said that he told people he was a journalist, I don't think at any point he told people he was actually straight. Well, that's see, that is um, what interested me most. I didn't know that before uh, now. And I kind of assumed that he wouldn't have the cheek to presume to speak about what people were doing on Grindr unless he was a gay guy who'd gone to... No, well, that's exactly it. I don't, maybe it shouldn't be even worse, but that feels even worse to me. Slate wrote a really scathing takedown of it where it described it as uniquely disgusting and irresponsible and accused him of writing the whole thing in a tone of lurid condescension. Condescension? Condescension. <laughs> condescension is when uh, your contempt for people is so thick that it runs down the walls. Now, I read the piece and to be honest, I I didn't feel that it was that condescending. I didn't feel that it was mocking, but I'm prepared to defer to the people who were upset by it on this. Yeah, it seems like they've got what they thought was a, a, you know, an amusing idea or a sensational idea for a story. They've not really thought through the implications of certain communities that they would be documenting. And, you know, clearly it's their fault, but I kind of wonder, you know, wonder now as this guy who was sent out on that job, we don't know if it was his idea. Has he kind of become, you know, poster boy for internet homophobia? 
I'm not excusing it. It's not It's not cool to do the story and it's it, stupid. It but. isn't. Anyway, one of the things he said in the piece, no prizes for guessing that Grindr proved more of an instant hookup success than Bumble or Tinder, which lots of people have criticised because he's, they're saying he's drawing on that idea that gays are so promiscuous and what I'm feeling is, no, he's drawing on the idea that men are more direct when it comes to looking for sex, you know? Well, and the functionality of those things as well. You know, Grindr is all geared from the start towards setting up a hookup, whereas on Tinder you get people saying um, no hookup. Had there been a straight female reporter out there going on Tinder, writing on her profile, I'm looking for a hookup, I don't think she would have had any trouble finding people yeah. to hook up with. Yeah. And, you know, and that would have produced a more balanced piece, at least as far as sexuality is concerned. I mean, it would have still been a little regressive, but it would have been less homophobic. They could have sent two people out there. Well, in an ideal world, they would have sent everyone from every colour of the rainbow, wouldn't they, to go on their respective app and then only then could only you then produce the, the most truth. balanced piece of journalism and also get to the bottom of whether mere mortals can hook up with Olympic athletes because we still don't know I think there are very few female Olympic athletes that I could hook up with yeah same we can commiserate later yeah I think that the idea of him going on Grinder and as a straight man and not telling people I mean I know in the grand scheme of journalism that doesn't really count as subterfuge but it's dishonest it's unethical and it's really not okay I definitely understand why people are upset by that yeah and the whole thing is just a bit sort of um, voyeuristic and, and kind of prudish in a way do you have in mind an Olympic athlete that you would most like to have sex with should the opportunity present itself um, yeah, I, I, my mind's wandering. But, um... <laughs> Online porn is making young men impotent. Essentially, this is a story about how young men, I guess, adolescents, have been so exposed to pornography that, that when they come to have sex IRL... Um, Listen to Rob trying to be trendy. <laughs> It doesn't measure up to to the kind of extreme fantasies that they've been viewing, or the you know the unrealistic depictions that they've been viewing, and on you know essentially you porn, porn tube, X hamster, red tube. We are looking for sponsorship if anybody's interested. Yeah, absolutely. Now it's not as straightforward as that, is it? It's not as straightforward as they're disappointed because it doesn't live up to what they've seen in porn. No, that's actually not what the study's about. Go on then. Well, the original story came from a twenty-five minute documentary called Brought Up on Porn for BBC Newsbeat. The top line is that leading psychosexual therapist Angela Gregory says she has seen a surge in young men visiting her clinic with erectile dysfunction and other issues of sexual performance. The Mail obviously ran a piece on this in which they were very outraged, saying graphic images are leaving men struggling to maintain their erection. <laughs> That's a very neat simplification. I think you've got to extrapolate beyond that, don't you? But actually, it, then later on, quite um, a recent study in the Behavioural Sciences Journal. Essentially, the study doesn't conclude that pornography leads to sexual dysfunction, but it recommends that more research go into that area because it identifies that pornography is... It's a phenomenon such as we haven't seen before in terms of the way we use it. I mean, one of the things they said was that pornography user can maintain or heighten sexual arousal by instantly clicking to a novel scene, new video, or never encounter genre. And that 
that couldn't be more different from real sex, could it? No, because real sex is usually a kind of coherent, you know, there's a teleological arc, isn't there? A, story, a narrative arc. And also it doesn't, you know, you don't always go up and up and up and up and up and up and then stop. You know, real sex with a real person often goes in waves. There are ebbs and flows. Yeah. You do something for a while, you switch position or you stop for a minute because you need a drink of water. Maybe yeah. that's just me. <laughs> and you don't just get to keep kind of flicking to the next thing that's going to take you up a level. You actually have to work at it. Yeah. You've got to take yourself up a level. You don't yeah. get to just switch to a new tab and have something different to stimulate you further. And each window brings with it a new possibility of other related porn that you get at the bottom of videos yeah, and things like that. Yeah, recommendations. Yeah, you know, you're always taken on to something new and something different. One of the case studies in the Newsbeat documentary was this 15-year-old Nick. And he said, there was nothing that would give me a kick. Normal stuff didn't do it anymore. So I had to get more and more extreme material. People often talk about this idea of people turning to harder and harder porn because the stakes have got to be higher, I guess, like with a gambling addiction. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say I'm sceptical about that. I think people find their level with sexuality. You're, we're not sort of bidden on to the next thing necessarily by outside influence. If something, If we're not into something, we're unlikely to get into it just because it's there as the the next boundary to cross. Why do we assume that in order to be more aroused, we need to watch kinky or harder, rougher sex? That's interesting to me. Well, that's sort of where I, where I am with saying that that's where people find their level. You know, people will find the right kind of uh, sexual fantasy or, or sexual scenario to suit them, but that, that doesn't necessarily have to be harder. So when you hear these cases of somebody saying, I sought out ever more extreme porn, I suspect even had they not been brought up in the internet era of being able to access that very quickly they would still have sought out extreme sexual scenarios perhaps porn has kind of uh, sorry the internet has kind of supercharged that process and sped it up to yeah do see I think the novelty thing I get I understand that people can get I mean if not you know biologically addicted they can feel habitually addicted to seeking out something new seeing something new and new and new and oh I'm bored of this new tab bored of this new tab I actually think that's a bit of a phenomenon of our online lives generally we always have a lot of tabs open a lot of multi tasking going on. I get that. What I don't really understand is the assumption that higher arousal comes from watching more taboo sex acts. Obviously that is true for some people, but it's not true for everyone. Yeah. And I feel yeah. like, I don't know, that seems a bit of a regressive idea to me. Yeah. Also, I mean, I don't know, it just doesn't ring true of my experience. I, that's just, I don't have that experience of constantly needing, but then to be fair, I'm not a big user of porn. How much porn do you watch? Well, not very much because most of the time you're here. So how much porn do you think you did watch when you were single and living alone. Uh, probably. Yeah, but I'm talking Every about day. two hours or like. Definitely not two hours. <laughs> I mean, I've got stuff to do. I'm a grown up. We had some listener feedback. No, we didn't. We did. We had some feedback from uh, well, from. It wasn't um, from our friends. No, it was. It was all from our friends. Oh, I say all right. One uh, listener said, "This is incredible." No, seriously, your chemistry is great. And another person said, "I was proper giggling on the bus." Yeah, that's a good. Um, that's the sort of review people really want nowadays, isn't it? Yeah, I can For imagine their... that on a poster. Yeah, I was proper giggling on the bus. <laughs> Three stars. Frankie, I want to hear what you learnt at squirting class. (laughs) 
<laughs> this week. Okay. Yeah, I went to a squirting class. Uh, that's not just a thing that you can go to in London, like yoga or Zumba. Which transpires it is, because you have been to squirting class. I go to a meetup occasionally, which is basically about a load of girls, women getting together and talking openly and frankly about sex. And the last one I went to included a speaker who was explaining slash teaching us how to squirt. Right. So, I mean, that pretty much sounds like uh, we were talking about young men looking at porn earlier. You know, that's probably how I spent roughly, I don't know, 60 plus hours of my teenage years watching something that sounds like what you're describing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was cool. It wasn't super hot. I think one of the things I liked most about it was just talking to other women about their experiences and how they've done it. I think in terms of the actual teaching part, the sort of tutorial part, I'm not sure how useful it was. Do you know how to make a woman square? Not on cue. But can you to... talk, can you tell me what you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, I've got to describe my my the technique I would use. Yeah. Well, I think it's through pressuring inside on the top wall of the vagina a certain yeah. sort of sack of it has liquid a name. In there. That... So, oh yeah. Go on then. What's it? Well, not the G spot. Yeah. The oh, G spot. Yeah, obviously, but. No, yeah, but beyond that, there's all these theories about which actual, you know, thing produces the liquid, aren't there? And there's yeah. some studies that have been very definite about that, and others are saying yes, but it, there are two sources potentially. It's very mystical, isn't it? I'm no. Anything mystical about it. Sorry, it's very scientific. That's the word I was the looking opposite for. Opposite of mystical. Yeah, the opposite of mystical. Yeah, I think what was interesting is that this teacher was quite definite on how she thought it came about. Now I've read various different things like you. I've watched like Tristan Taormino's videos, and I don't there isn't a consensus. No. But I'll tell you what I learned on Friday yeah, anyway. She said that, yeah, there is the skein's gland. Now, the skein's gland is actually the mentioned. Skein's gland. Is that what you were thinking of? <laughs> yeah. The theory is that the skein's gland is located on the other side of the wall from the G-spot. So it yeah, is right. in the urethra, which is why a lot of people think, oh, no, I'm going to piss myself yeah. when they're about to squirt. Um, but by putting pressure on the G-spot, you also put pressure on the skein's gland, which releases fluid. That was Rob shutting the balcony door so that our neighbours didn't hear me talking about squirting. I heard the man coming out for a cigarette. (laughs) He might learn something. So that was what we were told on Friday. The woman who was teaching us told us that she had properly had that kind of squirty porn effect, like a hose. Right, across the fucking room. Yeah. Yeah. I've never had that. A lot of the women in the class said they'd never had that either. But what was interesting is one woman said she had managed to make herself squirt just with clitoral stimulation. Really? Yeah. I've seen that in porn. Yeah. But less frequently. Normally it's, you know, through some kind of internal stimulation. I don't have a definitive idea of how I think it happens. And also because everybody is anatomically different, the exact method is not always going to be the same. It's exactly. sort of variations on a theme, really. Well, I think that you have to be really, really aroused. That I've heard that everywhere. That seems to be, does seem to be a consensus. Anyway, she was supposed to give us um, a demonstration. I thought this meant that she was going to demonstrate on herself. However, we got there and they said, would anybody like to volunteer to be part of a demonstration? No hands went up. Yeah, I'm not surprised because that's a a step beyond a sort of seminar. Would anyone like to come up and have a stranger put some fingers up their vagina? I'm quite happy talking really openly with pretty much anyone about sex, but actually taking my knickers off and having someone try and make me squirt in front of a room of women. I think she's she's kind of backing herself there, isn't she? I'd love to know whether... Well, that she, was the thing. I, I would have really liked to know succeeded. whether she could have made me squirt or not because no. I have never managed to do it on demand. And if she had managed to... Did she look like she had long, strong fingers? No, she was going 
to use a toy, Zilly. Oh, which one? Well, she recommended glass dildos because they're very solid and actually it's not really about friction, it's more about pressure. Yeah, got one just like that, don't we? Yeah, we do, yeah. Anyway. called sex questions from my mom it's, it's not, not really it's not called that <laughs> it's because last week when i was introducing this section my mom texted me at that exact moment not with a sex question i should add however it's a bit amusing me to imagine that the sex questions do in fact come from my mom can you fuck on a full stomach yes but i would rather not i think is the best answer um so i read an amusing piece this week in uh, american Mary claire where it was a sort of account of going to a sex party in brooklyn a sex it's an orgy basically like a yeah or a swingers party a sex party yeah yeah but you know it's a sort of young trendy new yorkers so i think calling them sex parties is what you do now i don't, I don't this... think anybody says swingers anymore no uh, they probably never did in america um she said that um so her friend had gone and come back and everybody had asked her oh how was it you know what was it like and the one thing she couldn't stop talking about was how amazing the food was so then she's very con- well catered yes. yeah <laughs> so then she convinced her friend to go again saying come on you know it's not very expensive to go to this actual evening and the food's amazing it's actually cheaper than us going out for dinner yeah so they went again and yeah again the food was fantastic even though they didn't participate really in any of the sexy fun and it just kind of got me thinking because i love that idea of great food and great sex and just sort of a bacchanalian festival but realistically i don't know how sexy i'd feel after a huge meal like that yeah well the roman ideal sort of doesn't you know the kind of the everyone's lying around in togas you know eating great and stuffing themselves with honey dormouse and and then having um... honey dormouse is an aphrodisiac is it okay yeah and then no having... I just made that up oh I see right. <laughs> you were like oh right but they, they might better have get it. some in they might have <laughs> they might have thought it was anyway and sort of you know hanging around and, and having big orgies but I know what you're saying when you're full of food it works on paper great food great wine great no holds barred sex in reality I can see myself just needing to sit in a chair for half an hour yeah you know I read this article and it sounds like they just used it as a kind of supper club where they didn't mind that people around them were fucking. They're just sitting there in the clothes you might go to in a restaurant, sort of going, um, oh yeah, could I get a bit more of that bread? I know I shouldn't, but in the background you can just like cries, <laughs> you know. Also, it suddenly made me think of, you know, there's this naked restaurant now in London. Most of the editorial has been somebody clearly not that down with it, trying to pretend like it's not a big deal to be naked in a restaurant. Mm. There's a lot of that kind of surprisingly liberating kind of rhetoric going yeah, on. Yeah, I felt the first time I went to a um, naked spa in Germany. Yeah, but a spa is different because that's yeah, like... right. <laughs> There's no food. Yeah, it's not. There's catered. like you're in water or you're in a sauna, and it's sort of it's about things happening to your body and your skin. Food goes into your mouth, and it, and it's a fantastic time. But like, it's not a bodily experience in the same way. I just I think that eating naked would. I'm not sure if I that would I would go for that. I'd like to try it. Let's. I mean, we can just pull the curtains down here and have a go. That's true. We we'll just do that tomorrow night. We didn't need to go to a street restaurant. Also, just as a counterpoint, this was in New York. This sex club with the fantastic food, the lobster thermidor, and all this amazing stuff that they described. Lobster thermidor. Yes, that's always the example that gets trotted out as fine food, isn't yeah. it? By comparison, a former colleague of mine used to do sort of sex coverage for a, a UK magazine, and as part of that, she wants to 
attended a swingers party in the UK. And I distinctly remember her telling me about how horrified she was by the food. They only served really light finger foods, really retro skips and pineapple and cheese on a stick kind of stuff. I, I don't know. I think if I was going to go to a sex party, which I would like to have done, but I haven't done, I think that's the kind of thing that I'd want. <laughs> and also you can easily just grab something, pop it in your mouth, chew, swallow, go back to doing whatever you were doing. Well, the food, the, the catering sounded completely depressing, but the theory behind it was that nobody wanted to feel too full. And I get that. So actually they were on the right line. <laughs> talk can i have a go at doing at saying pillow talk yeah okay pillow talk just yeah so now we've got two versions if you tuned in last week you'll know that rob asked me about what the fuck is up with douching before we kick off i'm actually going to just update you on what the fuck is up with douching are you oh, up yeah for no that? go ahead yeah have we had any responses uh we haven't so rob challenged me with finding some british women who douched and i failed because i don't think they do honestly looked and looked for statistics and the closest thing i could find was on page 199 of the book the vulva anatomy <laughs> physiology and pathology 2016 edition You'd like to be seen reading that on the tube. The Vulva said, quote, Afro-Caribbean immigrants to the UK are more likely to douche than Caucasian British women, unquote. Mm, And that was the nearest thing to a statistic I could get about British women douching. Here's what WebMD had to say about douching. An estimated 20 to 40% of American women say they use a vaginal douche. Women say they douche to get rid of unpleasant odours, wash away menstrual blood, avoid getting sexually transmitted diseases and preventing a pregnancy after intercourse. Okay, those last two things are nonsense, right? All of those things are nonsense. Well, yes. That is what we like to call total bollocks in the UK. Literally everything I read said that the doctors and health experts do not recommend it. Even managed to find peace in the sun about why you should never douche. I mean, if the the sun is on message, I think it's safe to say not many British women are doing this. We talked enough about douching last week, so I'm reluctant to spend all that much more time on it other than to say don't do it. However, can I just quickly share this amazing question that I found on Yahoo Answers? You hear a lot about douchebags in the US. But in Britain, they don't often get a mention. They don't get a mention, do they? They're they very don't. neglected. You know, it's a shame in British culture that you just don't hear enough about the douchebag, do you? No, yeah, the douchebag community. <laughs> yeah. Overlooked. So going back to uh, pillow talk. Pillow talk. <laughs> Thanks. My question to you, I'm sticking with the porn thing that we were talking about earlier. It was one of the things that was raised when I was watching that BBC Newsbeat documentary, waxing. A lot of people point to porn as the reason that women will feel they have to wax their pubic hair to a great to a lesser extent. So my question is, do men really care if I shave slash wax my vulva? Plenty of men do not. Lots of men do not very much. And probably a smallish but increasing number of men do care. Talk me through that. I guess. All right. So lots of people have no preference for less hair. In fact, there'd be some people who, who would be like, no, you know, I'm against that. People who have a certain sort of distaste towards uh, body sanitization. There are other people who might like it for aesthetic reasons or for other reasons of potentially convenience. And then there are going to be some people who actively prefer lack of pubic hair. I would have thought that most men would actually fall into that middle category of perhaps on a visual level preferring a neater look but actually when it comes down to it they're just quite happy to get near a vagina at all. I think that makes us sound like more pathetic creatures than we are generally. Us straight (laughs) cis men. But yeah, you know, broadly true. 
My feeling always was that I definitely felt a pressure to wax, shave, whatever. But if I hadn't, and I thought there was a chance of me hooking up with somebody, I always used to think, for God's sake, I mean, is he actually going to throw me out because I haven't yeah. shaved my hair? Obviously not. But then there are, you know, if you're going to date someone repeatedly, for instance, you're more likely to end up in scenarios where people are spending more time in contemplation of your, your, your do, aren't you? So then you might think, well, if they then do have a preference, some people want to cater for that. There are a lot of people out there saying that young men, again, we're sort of into the millennials again. Just This whole podcast is just us talking about millennials. So boring. Or what young people think about yeah. sex. But it's good. We're keeping in tune with it yeah, in a non-pervy yeah, way. Yeah. It's zeitgeisty, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's what we're doing. A lot of people saying that uh, young people, young men now expect teenage women and women in their early 20s to wax or shave their pubic hair. Yeah, and it's hard to avoid the fact that this is another facet of you know, widely available internet porn. But, I mean, these things have gone in trends historically. And it does, it does seem unlikely that, you know, the erotic community and kind of... The erotic community? The erotic community, yeah, I've made them up, haven't I? I'm, I'm, I'm talking about porn. Oh, right. Yeah. You I, mean I, people working in the adult industry? Yeah. Not the erotic community. I was like, who are the erotic community? How do I... How do I not know? How about... do I join? Oh, shit, Frank. I thought you knew... You don't know about my erotic community meetings. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sorry. No, I think, um, you know, maybe maybe that trend will go the other way in, in time. Although you would have thought now with the whole hipster beardy look would be the, the time of the bush. Do you think if the 70s power muff will come back into fashion? Well, now, surely now would be when it would be happening. And I don't think it is, not in the mainstream. No. From my point of view, I don't think having a completely shaved or waxed vulva is, looks good at all. I think it looks dreadful. But I do quite like the way it feels. I'm going to be completely honest. I can't really afford to get regular waxes. So essentially I just leave it, leave it, leave it. And then on a whim I'll go and get a wax and then it'll be fun for about a week. And then, you know, because hair grows back it's such a waste of money and effort I suppose that's one of my main problems with it it just doesn't seem worth it yeah I think it's a, it's difficult ground to tread as a man talking about this because you don't that's why I'm asking yeah you. well it's why you don't want to be seen as oppressing anybody and, and forcing them to be a certain way if I was going to draw the line anywhere though it would be a completely uncontrolled it wouldn't do it for you no I would like some form of, of do because like you wouldn't like it if my beard was all straggly and all over the place, would you? So, you know, it's just the general... It's, it's nice for things to look quaffed. <laughs> Buzzword, quaffed. But other than that, I have no requirements. All things are good. All vulvas are created all equal. All vulvas are created equal, yeah. Some men don't make any effort with their pubic hair. To be honest with you, I've never had an experience where somebody's had such wild and crazy pubic hair that I've been actually put off by that. But there's clearly a bit of a double standard there. Yeah, of course. That, yeah, I know that. It's unfortunate. What are you doing to address it, Rob Davis? You want to know my pubic hair regime? Is that what you're... I, I do, know, sure your pubic, I do you, know your do pubic you know hair that, regime. Yeah. There's, there are no secrets. Occasional clipping, I think is how <laughs> we would describe it. It's kind of like my journalism career. <laughs> Rob, do you have a question for me? What was the thing about sex when you first had it that was most surprising to you? Hold on while I mentally time travel. (laughs) (laughs) It was a while. Do you know what actually stands out in my memory? Where the fuck do I put my legs? Oh, really? Yeah. Again, I mean, I think this is really telling of what sex education involves because obviously you're not surprised if you're having sex for the first time in a straight cisgendered relationship. You're not surprised by where things go. But nobody tells you about where any of your other body parts go at that point. Mm. So I remember thinking, do I draw my knees up? Do I wrap my legs around him? 
Do I just splay them out to the side like a frog? I'd say do all those things at different times. Well, I think that's kind of what I went for in the end because I just wasn't sure. You're so worried about getting it wrong. Obviously, you learn much later that, you know, where you put your legs is not going to be what someone's overarching memory is. Although I say that, it is my overarching memory. So that was mine. Interesting. I don't remember being particularly surprised by any of the rest of it. I didn't have any real delusions about what the first time of sex was going to be like. Mm. I didn't think it was going to be this magical experience. I didn't think I was going to have an orgasm. I didn't think... So it's mainly logistical. Well, so yeah, so I answered that quite readily, didn't I? Quite yeah, you did, easily. it was good. Oh, now I want to know yours. I was surprised that <laughs> I, I found it difficult to come. Ah. But I think that's because, I guess, nerves will have played a part in that. Oh yeah, for sure, I would have thought. Yeah, also condoms. So previously you'd only come through wanking, right? And then yeah. obviously when you had sex, you're wearing a condom and that was a different experience. Yeah. So... I mean, that sounds fair enough to me. I'm not particularly shocked by that, nor do I have anything to add. So this is us signing off for this week. I've been Frankie Cookney, and you've been listening to The Second Circle. Hell. Yeah, it's the circle for the lost four. Sounds like the best of the circle.